Gaming Radio Network at ParanormalKing.com. Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of March 2nd, 2021, and this is officially episode number 469, and this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. And uh, if it's Tuesday night for you, like it's Tuesday night for me, uh, you want to head on over to the chat room we got a lot of pictures to share to go along with the stories that we're going to talk about tonight so again paranormalking.com head over there scroll down about halfway and you'll find the chat room jump in there and join us uh, tonight uh, so we got some photos that i'm going to share about uh, a few of these stories not just uh, the big one that we were talking about last week we've been waiting for some pictures to be released, and they were released a little earlier than we thought, pretty much about 24 hours early. Uh, not that I was sitting there waiting. Well, I kind of was, sort of. Uh, but uh, let's see. Before I get too far in, I've got to stop myself, put on the brakes, and I want to mention uh, we do have some events happening this weekend, and I don't normally wait until the weekend before to talk about events because I know people plan things out in advance. But, uh, man, you can't... Uh, we're still kind of in that wait-and-see and hold-on kind of uh, mode with uh, with COVID-19 and events, large events. I know some states, some countries are, are uh, laxing on things or re some countries are returning to normal, if whatever normal is. Uh, but here in the United States, it's uh, a lot of touch and go in a lot of different places. So I'm, I'm really not, you know, going to sit here and tell you stuff that's happening in April like I normally would. You know, I'd normally give you the events lists uh, about a month out. Uh, but I'm, I'm afraid to talk about them. I really am. Uh, however, this weekend, the Midwest Weird Fest in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, is supposed to be taking place March 5th through the 7th, has been canceled as as far as I know. Um, not seen anything uh, saying that it is canceled. So it looks like it's still on. And uh, UFO Con 2021 is uh, also this weekend, March 5th through the 7th. Uh, that one is safe to attend because it's online only. So it's uh, essentially a Zoom conference where you get to listen to people talk. I don't know if I could do that all weekend, sit there and some people talk. But uh, that's smart, smart. Uh, I'm surprised that a lot of other uh, organizations and events didn't jump on that a long time ago. Uh, and also, I didn't see this one. Somebody sent this along my way uh, later on in the month. But uh, they're advertising it. They've ran this in local media as well. Uh, the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Festival takes place Saturday, May 22nd from 12 noon to 10 p.m. 
uh, Bigfoot Fun for the whole family. It's a nice uh, website. You can find more information at thebigfest.com. So, yeah, Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Festival in Townsend, Tennessee. So, uh going to be a lot of fun down there. Obviously, uh, eh, probably a whole not a whole lot of people, but uh, they'll probably keep that as contained as possible. Not sure pricing or anything else. Uh, just all I got was the website and a couple links to the um, the event. And I'll get that added tonight. Boy, oh boy, I've not updated this thing in a while, it seems like. February 25th. doesn't look updated. Yeah, I'll get this thing updated. Don't worry about it. I'll get it. We'll get this thing updated. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just too, uh, too gun-shy to talk about. Too, too many events too far out in the future here. Uh, so there's a small list for you right there. So I did mention that, uh, yeah, you do want to be in the chat room. And if you're not there, you're, you're going to be too late. Uh, our big story of the week is a follow-up on a story we talked about last week. And this is probably a pretty big um Probably a pretty big, I guess it's one of the biggest cryptid stories of the year. Eh, we'll see how big it, it ends up being. Uh, but it's uh, pretty much hit the end of the road. It really didn't last too long. You know, we talked about it last week. Uh, there was a big announcement on February 22nd. Neil Waters of the Thylacine Awareness Group of Australia released a three-minute, 20-second video discussing photographs that were discovered uh, that seemingly validated that thylacines are alive and well in Tasmania, running around, chewing on stuff, uh, showing off their stripes, whatever they do, I don't know. Uh, he talked about discovering photographs taken on a trail cam uh, that would prove to the world once and for all that the Tasmanian tiger is alive and well. And he made it pretty uh, matter-of-fact-ish. Uh, he was uh, pretty adamant about it and uh, was also talking about getting a hold of government leaders to uh, get this thing put on the endangered species list. That, that's how that's how good these pictures were going to be. And everyone started getting excited, uh, although a lot of people were a little apprehensive because we've heard about this before. Neil Waters, uh, he's a true believer. He really feels these things exist, and uh, you're not going to tell him otherwise. I mean, if you believe in something, you should be all in. But at the same time, you, you got to have a little bit of skepticism. And he's uh, kind of not really open to the idea of um, the possibility that maybe they are extinct. That maybe they're not running around showing off their stripes on trail cams or, you know, hiding from people. Um and that was short-lived. You know, the video came out, and the following day, Nick Mooney, who is the honorary curator of vertebrate zoology at the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery, uh, he was quoted by a museum spokesperson saying, quote, um, Nick Mooney has concluded that based on the physical characteristics shown in the photos provided by Mr. Waters, the animals are very unlikely to be thylacines and are most likely Tasmanian patamelons. Unquote. Uh, he went on to say uh, TMAG regularly receives requests for verification from members of the public who hope the thylacine is still with us. 
However, sadly, there have been no confirmed sightings documented of the thylacine since 1936, unquote. Uh, So that didn't go over well, and it changed the headlines awful quick. So pretty much in 48 hours, we went from thylacine discovered to a false alarm thylacine not discovered. It pretty much killed the entire wave of excitement. Uh, People were pretty apprehensive now to uh, really believe in this. Uh, Only the hardcore believers that follow Neil Waters and this organization were the ones that were uh, still hoping that uh, there would be some pretty uh, clear-cut evidence here. But yeah, uh, I was kind of... Yeah, I was kind of apprehensive myself, but uh, he's, he's pretty uh, he's pretty excited about these things. And so he said that yesterday, the, the target date last week was March 1st for releasing these pictures. But I tell you, you know, and it's like any any other animal, but there's there's a little bit of weirdness about this little high strangeness. Um, so there's a little speculation. There's there's a kind of a I don't know if, how big it is or if it's growing, but there's a little contingency of people uh, in Australia and Tasmania uh, that think that there's people, most likely the government. They don't want the thylacine to be rediscovered uh, because then we'd have to spend money to study and protect it. It's kind of a, a conspiracy theory uh, among the collective believers. Uh, and Waters, Neil Waters, uh, you know, a lot of his group has uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of perpetuating this. And, you know, it's its possible. You know, I've said the same thing about mountain lions uh, being rediscovered in the east. Uh, you know, no way that any state east of the Mississippi is going to acknowledge a, uh, an ambush predator running around the woods because then people aren't going to want to go hunting. That's going to scare off a, a majority of people. You're of course, you're going to have those crazy people that want to go out there and and get a mountain lion, but your your average everyday hunters aren't going to want to go out there. Uh, but as far as the thylacine is concerned, the Tasmanian tiger, if it is rediscovered, uh, that's going to be a lot of money that's going to have to go into protecting this creature and rehabilitation. And Australia really has not done a very good job of uh, keeping things alive, or I should say Tasmania. Oh, that whole area, really. They've lost a lot of species over the decades. Um, Not all their fault. Uh, Climate has uh, caused a lot of brush fires and things like that. So, yes, uh, we were withholding judgment. We were all waiting, hoping that the pictures weren't going to be as bad as we kind of thought they were. Um, So, yes, Neil Waters said that March 1st would be the release date of the photos, uh, but he lied. He lied. Yes, they were not released on Monday. They were released on Sunday. Sunday morning at midnight. Well, midnight in Australia. Uh, it was a few hours later here. Uh, he released a 19-minute video on YouTube, of course, uh, talking about and showing off these photographs. And... Uh, it's kind of painful. It's kind of painful to watch that 19 minutes and however uh, many seconds. 
talked to myself, mumbled under my breath a few times, and I, and I just wanted to get up and walk away. Uh, pretty much what I expected. Now, I'm not an animal expert uh, as far as Australian creatures are concerned. You know, I live in North America, uh, so I'm pretty well versed in, you know, I usually look at large cat sightings, uh, photographs, and uh, I've seen many, many Bigfoot photos, purported Bigfoot photos. So, yeah, I'm used to looking at stuff like that, but I'm not really a, an Australian or Tasmanian animal expert. They kind of all look the same to me, um, kangaroo-ish, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I've looked at numerous other pictures of all kinds of creatures and not to mention ghosts, UFOs, and a lot of other strange stuff. But, man, I... I tell you what, I, I honestly kind of feel a little bad for Neil. He seems really convinced without hesitation uh, that these photographs are at least a juvenile photograph. He kind of seems like he's budging a little bit on the adult ones, uh, but he's focusing his efforts on the juvenile. Uh, I guess that's how you, you're, you get people to believe you. You acknowledge one thing, and but you don't give on the other. So that's, that's kind of what he's trying to do here. Um, yeah, beyond the shadow of a doubt, he is, uh, he's saying that this is a thylacine. Yes, matter of factish. Um, so yeah, I'm going to share these uh, photos in the chat room. So if you're not in the chat room, it's Tuesday night, a little after eight for you. Uh, if you're in, on the East Coast, you're live. So go to paranormalking.com and join us. The water is warm. And we're all wearing clothes, so don't worry about that. Um, so the crazy thing about this, and you get a little nervous when you see pictures and people start drawing on them. They draw shapes and circles and arrows. Uh, that's when you know, um, yeah, it's probably not going to end well. And I kept hoping the photos would get better, but they didn't. It was pretty much the same old thing over and over and over and over uh, he uh, even uses uh, thylacine photos, kind of like cutouts, and he overlays them to uh, really prove his feelings that they're definitely thylacines. He's really doing his best effort to convince the uh, the listener, well, I guess the viewer, well, I guess you could listen to, to a YouTube video. Uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. That's what I say. Uh, and we're just not seeing it here. You know, the, the claims are extraordinary, but the proof falls flat. And uh, it's blurry, and it's, uh, you can't really tell what's what. Uh, he seems to try to say that the shading, uh, there's shading, there's stripes, there's other details uh, that make these things thylacines. And he kind of makes it sound like, and this is dangerous, he tries to make it sound as if the burden of proof otherwise is on other people. Uh, it's on the non-believers. Uh, he's convinced it's a thylacine, but he needs you to prove him wrong. Well, that's not, that's not how it works. It's not how science works. It's not how any of this stuff works. Um, he, he, gosh, I mean, he, it's really kind of upsetting. I, I kind of feel bad for him in a way because he really seems to put in the effort to support his opinion. And he does a lot of work trying to say, well, this is... Uh, this can't be any other animal but a thylacine over and over again. But he makes no effort to compare it to a, a patamelon uh, visually like he does the thylacine or any other creature. 
he just basically dismisses it uh, out of spite, I guess. Uh, I mean, one would assume that uh, we're going to see, I don't know, him continue to fight on this. I really don't think he's going to give up. And in the video, he also enlists uh, other hand-picked animal experts. Uh, he seems like he knows these people. He's got a good rapport with them. So uh, that's dangerous as well. You know, it's one thing to have Nick Mooney, somebody who's an independent expert, uh, look at these. Granted, a lot of people don't think he's independent because he's more on the government end of things. Uh, but when you handpick experts to evaluate and you keep asking questions and they pretty much answer what you want them to say, um, that's not really going to help. And it's pretty obvious that those guys are uh, guys and girls who are also on the old side with hoping these are proof of thylacine. So the biggest problem here with these pictures, and you can see it on that original video on YouTube, all you got to do is scroll down, and you start looking at the comments section, and it's nothing more than a debate. Well, that's not a tail, that's an ear. Well, that's not a stripe, that's a shadow. Well, that's not a foot, that's a, a cat ID tag. I mean, there's so many debates going on in every single photograph. I mean, realistically, if there's any doubt at all as to what these creatures are, it's worthless. This this isn't evidence at all of anything, just that an animal happened to trip a camera. Um, so how can we say conclusively that they're an animal, especially that they're an animal that's been extinct for almost 85 years? Versus anything else. I mean, people aren't, can't even settle whether it's a dog or a cat, a patamelon, a wallaby. Um, who knows what else it could be? Yeah, it could be a thylacine, but there's not enough information. There's not enough evidence to, to not include all these other possibilities. So let me share with you the first photograph. This one's... Uh, he calls 862, and uh, it's a uh, nighttime photograph, which is pretty interesting. So, uh, you know, being on a trail cam, a night picture, uh, it's going to be black and white. So this is, uh, throw this in the chat room. Hopefully it works. There it is. Uh, so you see these glowing eyes, and you see this head, and of course, automatically he says, well, no animal has a head shape like that, but the thylacine, of course, that proves it. There's the proof. Um, <laughs> yeah, he says it, it can't be a dog, can't be a cat, it could be no other animal other than the thylacine. I, I don't see that. It could be a cat could be a mouse. We don't even know how big that thing is. All right. The second photograph shows a small animal moving away from the camera. It's the theme of these, um, these photos. You can tell there was a... There's a lot of debate, too, on these cameras, the usage of these cameras. And I can tell you from somebody who's used cameras quite a bit... Um, you got your delay on too much. Your delay is too long because these animals are long gone. Long gone. 
by the time these uh, pictures are being taken. And not to mention that, but the, uh, quite a few times they, uh, during the, well, in the video and, and elsewhere on Facebook, everywhere, people are saying, well, how come you're not using video? More often than not, these trail cams have video, short video segments, a couple seconds long. It'll trigger it and do a short video. The one that I have in my backyard, uh, I can do, it'll take a picture and then a short video. And then I can change the time it resets in between pictures. It's not hard. It's not that expensive either. Uh, you can have these out there. I mean, yeah, I've had a cat that looks exactly like that. That looks like a cat to me. Uh, you can't see the tail, but you can't see a lot of detail in that, can you? So, yeah, the second photograph shows a, a small animal moving away from the camera. And he spends like five or six minutes on this thing, drawing lines all over it, uh, saying the head shape, the ears, the, the, the head's too big which you really can't even see most of the head anyway. I don't know where, why he spends so much time on that. Uh, he says this thing has stripes, which you know anybody can see that there's leaves bending over the top of the animal. There's sun shining down. So, of course, you're going to have to have shadows of some sort. <sighs> but he does say, is that shading or are those stripes? You know, and I'm thinking... Well, we know what they are, but we know what you want us to think. And the way he says it makes it sound like he already knows the answer or he has the answer. Uh, the big problem with the trail cam pictures is until you have something to compare in the frame, uh, you really don't know the scale of what you're looking at. So in other words, uh, it would have proved helpful to have something in that spot. Uh, a different picture to kind of preface all this that could demonstrate how large of a creature we're looking at and if shade would have been created at the time of day. So an, an object put a ball out there, you know, a white ball or something that we know the size of. They call it a football? Is that what they call it? I call it a soccer ball. You know, something like that. We are, Everybody knows the size of it and you can see whether or not there would have been shading on that. You know, you should have a timestamp on there. Uh, so you should know what time it was and that would help us compare and give a little bit more information it's not going to help us determine what this is but again we could determine possibly what it's not which is just as important uh, when you're looking at uh, photographs that really have no detail like these and this is pretty much impossible uh, at this angle to tell exactly what this creature is i mean many animal experts are all you know, they're all not in agreement here. So obviously, uh, this picture is not that cut and dry. Um, let's see, another photograph, 864, I believe he calls it. Look at that one. Now, when you do look at these pictures, uh, one, then the other, then the other, you can tell that these are different sized creatures, that uh, some are a little bit bigger than the others. Oh, this one's a little smaller. I think this is the uh, this is the Holy Grail right here. This is the one he says proves uh, beyond the shadow of a doubt. This is the thylacine. The other two may or may not be patamelons. And he seems like he's almost really willing to bend on those and say that, yeah, those are probably patamelons. But why would a thylacine 
follow a patamelon and then have a patamelon follow a thylacine. Doesn't make sense. Um, you're right, Neil. It doesn't make sense because they're probably all three patamelons. Uh, so he says this one has four legs, which I don't know how you can really tell that. There's not a lot, again, not a lot of detail. Uh, we see uh, the little the little foot there. What is he calling that thing? A hawk. Yeah, a hawk. It's, it's such a weird word, hawk. Um, yeah, so it also has a banded stripe. That's what he says. Uh, but uh, it seems like just about everybody's in agreement that those stripes are really caused by the uh, the foliage that's bent over top. And you can only see so much in the frame. There's other stuff that's out of frame that could also be causing uh, the shadows over this creature. Uh, so he says the legs, the stripe, the hock, and a lot of other features, uh, he say automatically eliminates it from being anything but a thylacine. I mean, all you really see is a seemingly small little creature moving away from the camera. However... This is where the argument starts. So uh, let alone that little hawk going seemingly over that log away from us. A lot of people think that this is actually a creature coming toward you. So you see the left ear on the left and the right ear on the right. Now, I'm not sure about that, um, but there is a little bit of blurriness with this creature. So it's kind of hard to tell exactly what I mean. Come on, if you can't agree with what direction something is moving or which way it's facing, how in the heck are you going to say that it's definitely a creature that's been extinct for 80-some-odd years? I just don't get it. Um, however, with this one, he does go back, provides a measurement from where the camera is. And the camera's literally, I would say the lens is probably... Uh, maybe eight inches off the ground. It's not—it's pretty low. Um, most of these creatures in Australia are, are pretty low to the ground. They're pretty small creatures. So, uh, you know, here in the United States, we'd strap stuff on a tree, probably three to five feet up. Uh, even for for turkey and stuff like that, you're not going to have it too high, but you're not going to have it that low either. Uh, but it seems like all the uh, trail cams in Australia and Tasmania looking for the thylacine are very, very low. Unfortunately, that creates situations like this to where you're too level, you're too low to the ground, and you don't get that above the creature detail that you need. Uh, however, looking at the picture that he took uh, of this, um, you know, when he went back, it uh, would have been hard to see this creature at all because of the brush, the heavy brush that was actually above this creature. So... I don't know. You can create clearings, I think. And it's still, obviously, it looks like an animal trackway to me anyway. Uh, you can you can kind of dress up an area to utilize your trail cams. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, he's uh, this is the picture. This is the one. So he says, uh, he admits what he thinks of the mother and father, again, are a bit ambiguous. But he says the baby one is definitely a thylacine um yeah like i said his argument then says if the two are patamelons then why would a thylacine follow a patamelon 
and then be followed by a patamelon. That is not really the strongest argument, and it, it seems like a to me like a logical fallacy. He's trying to weave people into. Uh, he does say in that video that he disagrees with Nick Mooney's opinion and that Nick himself told him to get as many opinions as possible. He says that he's going to let the majority of people judge it. So basically the majority wins. And again, he's going to surround himself with people who uh, pretty much side with him at this point. He, he got Nick Mooney's opinion and kind of ruined the story. So I think he's going to ask a lot of other people who he knows and trusts are going to give, uh, for the most part, the stamp of belief approval on it. Because uh, I'm sure a lot of them are in his circle. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, also, you know, some interesting points, too. You, you get, it's fun sometimes to read through comments because there's some, some things that maybe you don't think about or things that you see from other people's perspective. And uh, some of the stuff that I read was, was interesting, uh, such as if this were a juvenile, so this is a baby, no matter what it is, You'd expect to get more footage because a baby creature like this wouldn't travel too far, which I think is a fair point. Granted, we don't know, you know, a thylacine could be a, a wandering creature. They, they don't uh, stick to the same place. Probably, you know, mountain lions are pretty much the same way. They don't, they don't just hang around, you know, a small area for too long. They're, they're constantly on the move. Um, and also, you know, why not overlapping coverage? And, and I'm a big stickler on overlapping coverage when it comes to trail cams. But unfortunately, it's kind of difficult to do that at night. Uh, they, when they overlap with the, um, the IR sensors, it kind of creates a little havoc on things. But there's ways around that if you uh, test things out, which is what you should do. You never just set up a camera and walk away. Uh, you should be able to, to test those pictures and overlapping coverage isn't really impossible to do, especially when you have a, a trail like this, a game trail. Any bend in that trail, you can easily set up another camera. You know, and you set the one, you know, obviously not directing toward the other. You're going to have a little bit of an angle so it keeps the flash out. But again, that's why you have to experiment with these things. Um, and hopefully, uh, somebody also mentioned, hopefully all the trampling that they did in this area to retrieve the picture and then to set up all these uh, measurements didn't scare off whatever these creatures are. Uh, hopefully we can have them come in the frame again, whether it's a patamelon or some other creature. Uh, again, video mode. Why is it not being used? So I don't typically use video mode on my trail cam because it does hog up a lot of memory. Uh, but I'm not trying to uh, find an extinct animal in my backyard either. And I, I think if that were the case, I would be using the mode again. Like I said, it takes a picture, then it takes a video. And you can lower the delay so that as soon as the, the creature steps into frame, it's going to take a picture. Because it seems like these things are already wandering off by the time the trail cam goes off. Uh, you're setting the angle too far. I mean, yeah, you don't want a close-up. But uh, it seems like they didn't really experiment with this too much. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's just not, this is just not good. Not a good uh, 
you know, you, you built this thing up to be so wonderful and then it, it just falls flat. You argue with somebody who's an animal expert. Um, you know, and I also wonder if they do get evidence, let's say a, a Patamelon actually wanders in the camera and it's facing the camera and smiling. And you can see the, the creature, you can tell exactly what it is. I mean, would they take that into consideration or would those, uh, would those pictures even see the light of day on YouTube at all? I mean, you, you, you kind of have to. Um, part of me also thinks that maybe he wants the photos to be ambiguous. Maybe he wants photos that are, are close. Uh, you know, maybe he, he knows the chance of getting one on film is pretty slim. I think that would be, you know, the fear here. But uh, I suppose the truth is that he could see a thylacine in a picture of a house cat. And his passion for finding these creatures has blinded his reality. And unfortunately, that's really what it boils down to. This guy, is, he wants to believe so heavily that that's what he sees. You know, it's the kind of, it's the, like the person that sees, they go out to, in the woods to see Bigfoot and they take pictures and they see shadows in the tree line and they see shadows in the bushes and they claim that's a Bigfoot. You know, when people really want to see something, they're going to see it no matter how crazy it looks to everybody else. So unfortunately, that's kind of where we're at with that. And um, what is that? The uh, Kruger-Dunning effect? Yeah, the Kruger-Dunning effect when you, uh, you're you pretty much, uh, it's a kind of a cognitive bias where uh, people think that they're a lot smarter than what they really are. We see that a lot in the ghost field. Uh, people think that they have a lot more knowledge and information about topics than what they actually do. And I think that's part of the problem here with this, that he's you know, gone from uh, somebody who is obsessed with these creatures. And the, I think he's only been doing this for like seven years. So he wants to find these creatures. He's, he's dead set that uh, there's cover-ups and that he's going to discover these things. And now, uh, you know, he's pretty much a true believer. And, you know, to be a naturalist is okay. It doesn't mean that you have a formal education, but it also means that you don't have a formal education. So being a naturalist means that you know about creatures in your backyard for, for the most part, probably more than the average person. doesn't really make you an expert. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how much you know about animals when you're Looking at photographs of animals, it's a lot different than just looking at animals. So there's a little bit of, um, you have to know about photography. You have to know about light and angle. And, and you have also have to know about what you can't see in the frame as well. So there's a lot that goes into this. And uh, I, I think he's just looking, he wants to be the one to discover this. He wants to be uh, a famous you know, I'd rather be rich than famous, but uh, a lot of people just want that attention. They want to be they want to be famous, and I think that's really what he's out for. He wants to be the one to discover this thing, and uh, it's a you know it would be a pretty big deal. And I've said it time and time again. Uh, out of all the cryptids, all the animals that uh, are said to not exist, that are real animals that have existed in reality, not like flying flying moths. Uh, you know, people sized flying moth and uh, 
chupacabra and all these other things that are a little bit crazy or maybe one-off animals. Uh, the thylacine, in my opinion, has uh, a pretty good chance of, of being discovered, I would think, uh, out of all these creatures. And uh, if it were, you know, it, it would kind of... Uh, would kind of help cryptozoology out a little bit, kind of make us all a little less, just a little less kooky than we typically are seen. <sighs> so now we can take a breath and we can wait for hopefully more evidence to come out about the thylacine. Uh, but I think uh, Neil Waters and his crew, they've kind of burned a lot of bridges with this. Granted, uh, this isn't the first time and this won't be the last time. There's been plenty of videos, plenty of photographs that have come out the same exact way as this, and people tend to forget over time. So we'll see. It will happen again. So Tasmania wasn't a good week for rediscovery of animals, but Australia had a little bit to celebrate this week as far as extinct animals. Yes, a bee that was thought to be extinct was rediscovered. I mean, not last week, but... uh, the uh, work was published. The Australian cloaked bee, which is pretty cool. It's all black. I don't think I have a picture of it. Do I? Maybe I do. We'll see. Hold on. Let me check. Uh, the Australian cloaked bee, of course I don't, was uh, rediscovered kind of by accident. Eh, not necessarily by accident. Uh it's only been documented six times in history. And the last time it was seen was 1923. So that actually predates the last time the thylacine uh, was seen. So that, to me, I think that's more impressive than, uh, let's see, there he is, pretty ugly. Um, so yeah, a little longer than what the, uh, thylacine has been missing. And it's a good thing though, because obviously bees are are dying off all over the world. So for us to to rediscover a a bee species, that's pretty good. It's pretty positive. Uh, entomologist James Dory, a PH student at Flinders university made the discovery of three separate sites of this bee after sampling 225 areas. So the bees were not actually part of his uh, target for research, but he had intended to look out for the species while he conducted his other research. So he knew these bees were out there. Uh, These are like ground dwelling bees. So they're not your regular uh, bees, but uh, he kept his eye out for them knowing that they were out there. And uh, he's the sole publisher of this research was this which is fantastic uh the results of this discovery are still a little bit concerning however uh as this points with these uh, three separate small i guess you'd call it uh, separate sites or outcroppings of these creatures uh, points to population isolation which could lead to a lot of other issues including but not limited to extinction Know, causes a lot of other issues like inbreeding and things like that. But uh, extinction, uh, definitely high on the list. But if this thing survived 85 years, you know, there's that's a, l- a little bit of positivity for the future for that. And there's a little picture of that little black bee. 
Uh, UFO news. Let's catch up on that story. So we have an update on the thylacine, but we also have the update on that American Airlines flight 2292 uh, last week that we talked about. It's all over the news. Probably one of the biggest UFO stories of the year. So they radioed to Albuquerque Center that they had encountered a long cylindrical object that kind of sort of somewhat looked like a cruise missile. Yeah, they weren't matter of factors. They didn't say, yes, a cruise missile just flew over our plane. Uh, the encounter happened on February 21st at 119 Central Standard Time over the northwest corner of New Mexico. Uh, so the transmission was as follows. Quote, do you have any targets up here? We just had something go right over the top of us. I hate to say this, but it looked like a long cylindrical object that almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing moving really fast over the top of us, unquote. Uh, yeah, that 14-second audio was uploaded by Steve Douglas, which he also wrote about on his Deep Blue Horizon web blog. Um so, yeah, then the flurry of updates uh, started to uh, kind of pile up. So uh, YouTube, Scott Brando, who uh, is the host of UFO of Interest. If there's a UFO video, this, this guy's all over it. Um, pretty much debunking the uh, debunkable, uh, getting to the heart of the matter with a lot of these stories, as is Mick West of Metabunk.org. Uh, so both of these uh, these gentlemen did their independent research. Uh, Scott Brando did link to Mick West's uh, blog. Or, well, I guess it's like a message board. So a lot of people add to it, uh, add information uh, to this. Uh, once either one of these two get involved in the analysis of a story, it's pretty much quickly torn apart. The truth comes out. It comes up no matter what the truth may lead to. But uh, this one's a little shaky. It seems a little bit different than what I had originally thought it was going to turn out when I started digging uh, through this research. Uh, so initially, it seemed like there's a couple of candidates of aircraft that flew close to the American Airlines flight. So there was a Learjet with the tail number N738RJ that flew over the airliner at about 5,000 feet and at about 33,000 feet away. That sounds pretty far away. That's a few miles, I guess like five or six miles. Um, but it's really not for a, an aircraft flying at 300 miles an hour. And the small Learjet could be misinterpreted to look like a missile from that angle. It's really long and thin. The, the uh, um, wings really aren't that big or that tall uh, for this aircraft. So that seemed to be the explanation for the timing, unfortunately didn't add up. So the incident, so the, where these two uh, aircraft crossed paths was about eight minutes prior to when it was actually reported. Uh, so it's possible that the pilot and the other crew, maybe they talked about it before reporting it. Maybe they hesitated, thinking that maybe they're going to be crazy. Uh, but it sounded to me when you listen to the audio that uh, it sounded like they reported it pretty much seconds after they saw it. You know, the, the pilot seemed a little startled about the whole incident. Um, you know, but maybe somebody else on the plane saw it, reported it to somebody who reported to somebody who finally got back to the uh, the crew up front. 
But the big issue with the analysis is the fact that the FAA responded to the claim by stating, quote, a pilot reported seeing an object over New Mexico shortly after noon local time on Sunday, February 21st, 2021. FAA air traffic controllers did not see any object in the area on their radar scopes, unquote. Uh, so the Learjet uh, should have been seen on the radar. I mean, it's readily viewable on uh, at least two flight tracking software things that I've seen. Uh, the response was made to Tyler Rogaway of the website The Drive. Uh, so we do have confirmation that the pilot did report something. Uh, we all can also tentatively rule out a couple of aircraft that intercepted the American Airlines flight at different times before and after the report. Uh, but that Learjet, I, I still wonder if that's really what they saw. And maybe the timing is off. And, you know, the FAA saying that uh, there was no object on their teles radar telescopes at the time. I should say radar scopes at the time. Uh, maybe that's because of that eight minutes. So if they're saying eight minutes after um, the actual report, you know, if there's a time difference, they're going with that time different and saying that there was no plane there at the time, but a few minutes prior there was. Um, so I wonder if it's just that, and maybe there's a, a little bit of mistake in the time, but uh, so far I've not seen any more updates to that uh, other than uh, a lot of people getting this, the FBI is involved in this. Well, the FBI is aware of it. doesn't mean that they're actually investigating it. And I think people are making a little bit more out of that than what really is uh, being intended. I think there's still going to be uh, a little bit more research to this and people are going to kind of dig into it a little bit more. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't get too carried away with... Um, you know, this being a UFO, I think there there is a logical conclusion to this, but I just think that the, the information is just getting tossed around a little bit too much and we're taking a little bit too seriously. But, you know, I, I think more will come out about this. It's just going to take a little bit of time as most of these um, these flights do. Sometimes it, it just does take time uh, for information to trickle to the general public. I mean, they don't like talking about UFOs. Oh, I'm sorry, UAPs when it comes to uh, uh, public flights because they don't want people getting scared, I guess. And you know, still that old school mentality when it comes to uh, uh, pilots and things. But good on him to actually report it because a lot of pilots don't say anything because they don't want to get grounded. Uh, they don't want people thinking they're absolutely crazy. Uh, so hopefully we'll have more of an update on that UFO UAP incident in the future. Uh, ghost news this week. An interesting occurrence. I kind of, I don't know. I, I kind of, now I think about it, I kind of feel mean about this. Uh, but I was actually laughing about this. I, I thought, how silly is this? Um, so a pair of paranormal investigators nearly did their job early Monday morning. Uh, Danny and Felicity Duffy, who host a YouTube channel about paranormal investigation, discovered a skull, a human skull, amongst some tattered clothing during an outing near an abandoned pub over this last weekend. Uh, they called police around 12.35 a.m. to report a suspicious item. Police responded and questioned the couple but released them at about 3.30 a.m. 
which is quite that's quite a long time to uh, hold somebody. So I wonder, wonder what that discussion was about. Uh, of their discovery, Danny stated he saw an army-style jacket near the remains. Uh, he told the Manchester Evening News, quote, Then I saw what looked like a pebble on the floor. I moved the bushes to the side, and it was a human skull in the tree line. It really did give us a shock. My legs turned to jelly. We rang the police right away, unquote. Uh, the police stated the couple were seemingly shaken up by the discovery, and Danny added, quote, I've not slept. I can't get it out of my mind. I've never cr- come across anything like that before. We both felt sad. Felicity had been uh, quite upset. We've only slept for about an hour. As soon as I woke up, I thought it was a bad dream, unquote. Uh, so, yeah, okay, yeah, I, I did kind of laugh. I was thinking to myself, you know, you're paranormal investigators. You're out there in the field. You're out there. You never know what's going to happen. I mean, these scary situations, this is what you live for. So what you're out there for. What else are you out there for? But uh, I get it. It's not every day you see human bones. And I don't know how, uh, you know, what the, um, you know, how long they were decaying or if it's just the skull they found or if there's other remains uh, you think they would have smelled something if there was more remains and it would have been like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't go in these these uh, bushes. But uh, come on, man. That's, that's what you're out there for. You're out there to discover scary stuff. Uh, I mean, at least they didn't scream and, and uh, say, dude, run and run off. So uh, that's a little bit of positivity for them right there. But, uh, yeah, I wonder if they were trespassing. But, uh, you know, at least they discovered something. They kind of sort of did their job. They did find a ghost, in a, in a way, in a manner of speaking. Uh, a dead person. And obviously this has only just been, well, it's been over a day, so. Uh, but still, it's uh, under investigation. There's no uh, uh, no findings as, as far as I know. No one's been arrested. You know, nothing has been discovered. There's, it's going to take probably a few days, a few weeks for this um, uh, this evidence to be processed, this skull to be uh, figured out, uh, maybe who it belongs to, if they can get dental records or anything off of it, uh, any DNA or anything like that. So kind of a, a scary situation, but come on, you're ghost investigators. That's what you live for. Anyway, other news. Uh, so we thought this was over. I thought we were done talking about these monoliths. I guess not. I thought this was like so long ago. It's so 2020. Talk about metal monoliths. Uh, Last year, the craze went global after a strange, tall, silvery monolith was spotted by a helicopter at a remote area in Utah. Uh, That story went viral. Then without warning... They were popping up everywhere. Uh, At least 100 other monolith-like structures have popped up all over the world, with the majority of them happening in December of last year. Uh, Also happening with these, as quickly as they were being discovered, they were being destroyed. It seemed like it went along with the story. People find it, 
and uh, somebody else destroys it within a day or two, which is really sad and uh, really unfortunate. Um, but as the calendar turned, we didn't really hear too much about these. There were a few uh, in January that were popping up here and there, uh, but most were just uh, following on the gimmick. It wasn't just uh, you know these happening way up on a hill or a mountain or anything like that. These were just turning up in like town centers and things like that. So really nothing major happening. And on February 14th, a 12-foot-tall monolith appeared in a roundabout. So yes, in a busy area of, of a city here in Kinshasa in the Republic of Condo, uh, Congo. So kind of a busy area. Um, just appeared overnight. And during the day, yeah, there was a little bit of crowd around the object and the crowd got a little bit bigger got a little bit bigger as these things usually do they bring people to the area and people start talking about these things and they keep wondering where it came from and what it means uh, so it went from uh, a lot of people gathering around this thing taking selfies and being silly uh, to people laughing and have some it started into some serious discussions that's about where the structure may have come from and if there was anything evil attributed to the uh, appearance, the sudden appearance of this strange monolith, uh, and people were well aware that this is happening all over the world, it's not just in their backyard. Uh, so, of course, you know, you know what's coming next, that this thing is probably going to get dismantled. Well, it didn't take too long. Later on that afternoon, numerous people began tearing apart the structure to see what it was made of. I'm sure you just tap on it. Can't you just tap on it? What are you going to tear it apart for? Uh, not too long after that, uh, people began smashing it with sticks and other objects. And then, of course, uh, they lit it on fire. I mean, what else are you going to do at that point? You can't tear it down. You can't knock it over. Uh, you can't completely bash it with a stick. Eh, set it on fire. That always works. Uh, so I'll throw a, a picture in the chat room of uh, a little bit of that melee. There was quite a few pictures of this thing, but here's a, a crowd gathering in the town. looks like they're all having fun, though. It's not like people were... Some of the news reports I read said that uh, people were thinking this was an evil thing, and they were afraid of it, so they just burned it down. I think they were just having fun with it and uh, lit it on fire for Sunday afternoon's sake. Yeah. And they continue. They continue to pop up which is scary. The metal monolith uh, craze actually has a, a, a Wikipedia page. So you can go there and you can count. I counted. I stopped counting after uh, about 100 of these things uh, all over the world. Pretty much every continent. It's uh, yikes. really, really crazy that they're happening everywhere. Um, so I've got a couple minutes left here, and I'm actually going to do... Yes, believe it or not, going to do a book of the week. It's a book that uh, I talked about uh, quite a while ago, a couple months ago. And finally, I still haven't read it all. Sorry, Ben. Uh, pretty much three quarters of the way through this thing. But it's uh, really, I always say really, really good or really, really interesting. But it is. It's really, really interesting. Uh, the book is called Big If True Adventures in Oddity. And it's published uh, by Benjamin Radford. Uh, if that name sounds familiar, 
Well, it should. Uh, Benjamin Radford, uh, he's, he's known as a skeptic, but he's a pretty grounded skeptic as far as I'm concerned. He's the deputy editor of Skeptical Inquirer Science magazine. Uh, so he, yes, he's part of that CSI, the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. Uh, he's an award-winning author, co-author, or editor of over 20 books and thousands of articles on a wide variety of topics, including urban legends, the paranormal, critical thinking, and media literacy. Uh, so it's these articles that actually make this book up. Um, Benjamin Radford is also a board game designer, puzzle designer, film director. He's actually a science-based paranormal investigator. So kids, if you want to grow up and you want to get paid to investigate ghosts, you have two options. You either get your own TV show, good luck with that, or you become a science-based paranormal investigator, kind of a skeptic. And uh, depending upon the organization you work for, you might actually get paid for travel. I don't get paid for travel. I pay for travel. Um, he's also co-founder and co-host of the uh, Squaring the Strange podcast, which you can still hear. It's been on the air for three, four years now. Jeez, four years. So yes, Benjamin Radford's Big If True Adventures and Oddities. So this is actually based on uh, magazine columns to the Skeptical Inquirer magazine over the years. Uh, pretty much people ask questions about certain things, and he does the research, digs into them, and gives you an answer uh, in, an, in an article. Uh, I'm pretty lucky here. I have a limited first edition. Uh, the first 50, I have number 12 of 50 autographed, of course, from Benjamin Radford. Uh, I really enjoy his reading. It's, it's actually one of his, uh, his books on ghost investigation that got me to uh, contact him and talk to him. Uh, about investigation and about uh, some of the uh, skeptical angles of things and um, got me to see things in a, in a different light. And uh, he and I talk a, a lot about different aspects of this. But uh, this book is broken down into several sections. So you have legends, monsters, ghosts, mysterious powers and places, UFOs, health and medicine, conspiracies, and skepticism. Uh, but again, it's it's a series of articles and it's a very, very interesting, a lot of information about a lot of topics that you probably take for, uh, for granted as uh, being a true story. And he gives you the reality behind it. Uh, lots of different things. Uh, and it's a, this book is available on Amazon. Um, see, I do have a picture of it somewhere. Somewhere. Let's see. We throw that in chat real quick, and uh, as I get that going, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight, showing up in the chat room, and uh, show up showing up at all. I mean, I appreciate you listening to the show. Uh, I know you're listening. I see the the numbers and things, uh, so I do appreciate that. It makes it all worth it. Uh, all the research I do uh, into bringing you this show each and every week. Uh, hopefully it's a lot different than any other show that you listen to out there. There's a lot of different shows and uh, you don't have to listen to this one, but I do appreciate the fact that you do. Uh, so let me throw the link in chat for this book. And that is the book of the week. Big if true adventures and oddity. The book of the week. For March 2nd, almost the third March 2nd. 
Uh, let me clip the end off of that so it works. And it didn't work. Well, I got to copy and paste that. Didn't work. I know what I did. Uh, but uh, again, yes, thank you for um, for tuning in, whether it's live or you're listening to the show uh, in March 15th or something like that. Uh, either way, I do appreciate it once again. So that being said, I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, you know this, you know the words, you know how it is. You sang it in karaoke, you were pretty hammered that night, but that's okay. Don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting. <laughs>